challenge yourself and go do that something that you don't know how to do, that you don't feel like you could accomplish, that you don't think that you can achieve. Go do it. And when you do it, when you push through the resistance, when you do it, then it builds this confidence. It builds a vocabulary of overcoming incredible odds. And that is empowering. And that can help you really go on to the next level. Welcome to Starve the Doubts. I'm your host, Jody Mayberry. Usually, I'm the host of Creating Disney Magic. But for today, your favorite podcaster, Jared Easley, turned the show over to me. This is like asking a neighbor to watch your grandmother. (laughs) But I'll try not to break anything. (laughs) I have a very special guest host with me today. Many say he has the best voice in podcasting. With me is the Jeff Brown, host of the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks for joining me today, Jeff. Well, Jody, uh, thanks for asking me. I appreciate it. I don't know if I have the best voice in podcasting today. I may have the best sounding cold in podcasting. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest today is David Molnar. David is a husband, father, and music and advertising photographer. David's work has been seen on 3 million Pepsi cans, on American Idol, in People Magazine, and the New York Times. He is the author of iPhone-only photography. Some people call David the Prince of Puns. <laughs> well, oh, wow. Welcome to the show, David. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Hey, Jeff, I wanted to interject and say, is this a cold call at this moment? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it is, yeah. <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. Yeah, we didn't even get very far in, and he <laughs> drops one of the puns. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. David... Jared Easley starts every show with the same icebreaker question. Okay. What is the best concert you have been to? Oh, best concert I've ever been to. That would probably have to be Switchfoot, like, I don't know, 12 or 13 years ago at this small venue in Norfolk, Virginia called the Norva. It was phenomenal. And they were my favorite band at the time. But they're not now? Uh, They're one of my favorite bands. They're like kind of an all-time favorite. So, yeah. All right, this next one, uh, David, true or false, a -hmm. blue V-neck shirt is proper attire for any occasion. True, times 100. I'm wearing a blue (laughs) V-neck right now. I almost exclusively wear blue V-necks. I mean, meaning like, you know, even when I sleep, you know, just occasionally I go to the beach and I take it off, but that's it. I shower with them on. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Have you come out with a blue V-neck for surfing yet? I have not, but it's, you know, it's just, it's not trademarked. Is that the word I'm looking for? Yeah, it's coming. It's coming very soon. You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, blue V-neck, blue water, just blew your mind. Go ahead. This next one is a finish this sentence. So okay. I will start a sentence and then you finish it off for me. It sounds great. If David Copperfield ever asks you to hold a bucket. Oh my gosh. Did you know this? <laughs> Did you know that I've been on David Copperfield and he, I'm supposed to finish the sentence. I don't know how to finish the sentence because I'm just going back to the moment where David Copperfield asked me to hold a bucket and I'd have to say it was on my bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next one is a versus, uh, we'll give you two choices. You tell us uh, which you prefer and I'm afraid you're going to break my heart with this one. I just know it. Outer Banks of North Carolina versus Nashville. Ooh, Oh, man, that's that's hitting too close to home. It's too hard. I can't. There's no they're just both awesome. Sorry. I can't pick between the two. They're both my loves. That's acceptable. Yeah. David, I need to step back to David Copperfield for a moment. The bucket list joke. Did you tell that to David Copperfield? I did in front of a thousand people. Yeah. He said, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that's so funny. I was just like, I didn't 
he pulled me up on stage and had me hold this bucket and I was like kind of really nervous. And he said, you know, David, have you ever held a bucket before? And I said, it's on my bucket list. Uh, or he asked me some kind of context and I just like quickly, you know, went back and then, <laughs> you know, a couple, I got some chuckles of the audience. And then he like looked at him like he was all annoyed and then everyone laughed. <laughs> it was a pretty funny moment. <laughs> I had a chance to sit in the front row. I've been to, to see David Copperfield a number of times and I was sitting in the front row for a show in Atlanta and a buddy of mine was on the end of the row and he got picked to go up on stage at the very beginning to participate mm. in some trick. Yeah. True story. At the end of the night, his wallet was missing and we never found it. <laughs> we blame David Copperfield to this day. Well, he's like, a, he's like a billionaire. He owns a bunch of islands. And now he's uh, $30 richer. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, man. David, did you happen to find Jeff's friend's wallet in the bucket you were holding? Um, I declined to answer. <laughs> so what was in the bucket? There was a duck... That was all of a sudden, like he, you know, handed me the bucket is empty. I could see inside of it. And he, you know, he open, he grabs the bucket, he tips it upside down, he shows the audience I'm holding it. And then there's just a specific moment where he crams a duck into this like box that disappears on the other side of the stage. And all of a sudden the bucket that I'm holding, you know, there's nothing but me holding a bucket and air underneath the bucket just starts wiggling. And then I'm like, oh my gosh. And then he comes and he pulls a duck out of the bucket. <laughs> I was kind of freaked out because there was like a moment when it when it happened. So it was kind of crazy. And then it was like he called me back a few minutes later and I picked up the bucket again. And then like, you know, it's been sitting there the whole time, you know. And then he pulls another duck out of the bucket. It was just insane. Well, let's move on to more serious content. What should you do if you ever encounter gnarly wood bees? Ooh, you get some hornets, like some poison for spiders or scorpions, and you spray it. You spray it right in the hole that the wood bees have carved into the post that your hammock is hanging on. Oh. Because when you're hanging on your hammock and there's a dozen or so wood bees kind of flying around your head, you just, you know, you need to kill those suckers. <laughs> I've got a few of those uh, making homes on my back deck that I need to take care of. So now I know what to do. Oh, man, they would be a problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, David, what's the proper way to eat cookie dough in your estimation? Oh, melted. Just barely, barely cooked. Barely. <laughs> I love how you all have all this info about me. I'm like, how the heck did you know all this stuff? <laughs> David, which is more difficult to shoot, Angie Harmon or a cronut? Oh, I want to say I declined to answer. <laughs> Let's just say humans <laughs> present... A lot more difficulties than a still life pastry. That's all. So let's look at that a little deeper. Do you approach a shoot differently if you're taking photos of a person versus an object? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the biggest difference is that, you know, the person, whoever it is, whether it's a celebrity or just, you know, a normal person like you or me, they all have feelings, they all have insecurities, and they all have emotions. And, you know, the very first thing I do when I walk on set, or I should say when, you know, my subject walks on set with a human subject, is I try to just like sit down with them and make them feel comfortable and ask them questions. And if I can joke around and tell as many puns as possible. But I mean, in all seriousness, I try to like make a personal connection instantly so that we can like feel comfortable and kind of break that tension because there's tension. I mean, you know, some people like just it's the best thing in the world to be photographed, but you're still kind of nervous to get started. And some people it's like their worst nightmare. So the main difference is, you know, from the very beginning, I try to find something that I can compliment them on 
like whatever it is, find something, their shoes, their shirt, their hair, their eyes, their, I don't know, their accent, something that I can genuinely compliment them on. And it kind of immediately breaks the ice and can kind of allow us to kind of get comfortable with each other or start getting to know each other and get comfortable. When it's a cronut, I mean, I just try to photograph it as quickly as freaking possible so I can <laughs> shove that sucker in my mouth. <laughs> so you're saying you can glaze right over the shoot of the oh, cronut and not hurt anyone? <laughs> Rob, oh, I love it. I love it. Well done. Well done. Well, David, what's the reason, in your estimation, most people take ad photos? I think a lot of folks think, well, I, you know, I've got to have an expensive camera if I'm going to take great photos. Bad photos. I think most people take bad photos because they you know, kind of rely on technology too much and not on actually, you know, taking three seconds to learn a few fundamentals and foundational principles of photography, whether you're using your mobile device in your pocket or your big fancy heavy DSLR camera. You know, some of the biggest things that anyone can learn, regardless of which camera, is how to manually control your camera so you're not relying on it being this automatic guessing game, you know, where the camera's trying to guess what it is that you want the picture to look like. I think that's really the biggest issue. It's not that hard to manually control your iPhone. It's actually, most people don't even know you can manually control it. I mean, a lot of us have an Android or an iPhone in our pocket, and you can truly take amazing photos manually with those cameras. If somebody's going to use their iPhone or their smartphone to take photos, what are some apps that you recommend? Well, um, man, things keep on getting better and better and better, Jody. My favorite app for editing photos on the iPhone, and it's actually, of course, on the Android because it's made by Google. It's called Snapseed, and it's just the most phenomenal app in the world. And they actually just came out with version 2.0 a week ago. And yeah, it's really, really amazing. For photographing, now that iOS 8 is out, the native camera app is actually really great. You can manually control it. I have some tips and tutorials about that. But the a third-party camera replacement app is called Camera Plus, and that's phenomenal. I've been using that for years. Camera Plus sign, not the P-L-U-S, not the word spelled out. Why aren't snapshots good enough? Ooh, well, they can be if you take thousands of them and you pick <laughs> the one that works. No, I, you know, I was just talking to my friend Casey Proctor the other day, and we talked about the difference of a, a photo that's you know taken and a photo that's made. And I used to be kind of opposed to making photos. In fact, I didn't really understand the reason or the purpose. I grew up looking at these surf magazines and National Geographic, and I saw these photos that seemed like they were just like snapped, you know, photojournalistically, you're capturing the moment in action and, and people like that. But what most people don't know is that it's really hard even if you do capture something organically, there is a lot of work that goes into the framing, the composition, you know, the exposure, all these elements that the photographer is taking into account to try to tell a good story. So maybe he's actually, maybe he's not making or modifying a photo, like, you know, changing the background and blah, 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 doing all these fancy things or having the person pose in a different way. But you better believe that great photos are actually well thought through. They've, you know, the photographer may need to adjust his angle or take a few photos and kind of figure out how the story can be told better. Because really, at the end of the day, photography is storytelling. And you have to identify what are the essential storytelling elements and try to hone in on those and decide, are these other things in the picture, are they distracting? Like, for instance, if there's a bunch of trash on the ground and it doesn't really enhance your story, maybe you should shoot from a little bit lower and aim upwards. And that way you're not, you know, seeing the trash on the ground that takes away from the actual story of whatever it is that's happening that your subject is doing. So I think that great photographs, 99.8% of the time are made, they're thought through. 
And that's why I don't think snapshots are good enough, because I don't think they tell the best story. Almost every photograph my granny took had people's heads cut off, and that actually made for a good story. (laughs) So she took a lot of headshots? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, boy. David, what would you say to someone who does something because it feels safe, even though they know they could do better? Ooh, this one's hitting home. I'd say you're a liar and you're a cheat. No, I, I mean, this is something that I've been struggling with the last few years is kind of doing, you know, falling into patterns of, like you're saying, safety. I was, you know, photographing my subjects and my clients in ways that were easy for me or safe, you know, like they looked great. I've figured out ways to take phenomenal photographs without trying too hard anymore because I've dialed it in. I've been doing it for 10 years. And then it got to the point where I was like defaulting to some of my, uh, my kind of old faithfuls. And I think that's a good thing to have your old faithful and everything. But when it stops compromising your drive or whatever it is, then I think that's where it gets really dangerous. I think that we should constantly be challenging ourselves, whatever avenue of creativity or motherhood or fatherhood or, you know, relationships. Don't get comfortable. I think that if you're not growing, you're dying. And I think that we all need to be challenging ourselves. You know, there's a guy who was a mentor of mine when I was younger. His name is Jordan Gross. He's now gone on to be this like big advertising guy in New York City. Really smart. He challenged me and he probably learned it from someone else, but I'll give him credit. He challenged me to do everything I can to amaze myself every single day. Mm. And what that means is getting up and identifying something you don't know how to do, whether it's photography or graphic design or a relationship, whatever it is, I don't care. Challenge yourself and go do that something that you don't know how to do, that you don't feel like you could accomplish, that you don't think that you can achieve. Go do it. And when you do it, you know, when you push through the resistance, when you do it, then it builds this confidence. It builds a vocabulary of overcoming incredible odds. And that is empowering. And that can help you really, you know, go on to the next level. I think that, I mean, I can just think about my own career. And in the early years, I would be constantly trying to learn or constantly trying new things or testing or doing these different things. And it really built a confidence in me to where, you know, over time, I became very confident in that even if I didn't know how to do this certain type of photography or whatever it was, that, you know what, I'm confident enough in myself that I've figured it out enough times, I'll figure this out. I have no idea how to do what you're asking me, but let's do it. I can figure it out. And that's, I think, a really awesome position to be in when you have that confidence to be able to do things you don't know how to do. So I'd say don't stay in the safe zones. Push yourself, challenge yourself to amaze yourself daily if possible. David, connected to that, when your art becomes a business, how do you make the business successful without diminishing the art? Well, I think that, whew, I mean, this is a, that's a convoluted question. Um, <laughs> it's, that's a tough one. I'm trying to think of the best way to answer that because it's not really an easy thing. But um, you know, going back, I think it is good and I think it is wise to be able to to be able to learn certain things that can be your fallbacks in the situations, you know, like for instance, like a specific photo setup or a photo technique or whatever it is, that's going to something that I know I can get great photos, you know? So it's almost like, okay, do that thing that you know is going to work great. 
even though you may not feel as artistic about it, and then try to put a slight spin on it. So get the safe thing and then because it's a business, you know, they're hiring you for a specific reason or they've seen, you know, they've seen specific work as it relates to photography. They're like, well, I love this shot that you did. I want you to emulate that. Well, I don't want to shoot that exactly the same way, but let's do it in a way that's going to get you exactly what you want. And now I'm going to try to put a new spin on it so that it becomes something completely new and completely original. Because at the end of the day, you know, every piece of art, every photograph is, you know, stolen from somewhere and it's just morphed into something new. There's no original new ideas, in my opinion. David, I know you use your photography to actually give back. Can you talk a little bit about some of the charity work that you're involved in? Sure. Yeah, that's a big passion of mine. I've actually been overseas quite a few times. And so there's been two ways, I guess, specifically that I've you know given back. Well, I guess a lot of ways. But uh, I've been overseas with a couple of different nonprofit organizations. One is an organization called No Think Act. And it was actually really cool. No Think Act is this amazing nonprofit that takes 100% of the money that, Jody, if you're, you're like, hey, I want to give money to something, you can go on their website and you can identify a specific need like a well or, you know, a kid's tuition to school or a uniform or what you could build a new school too, because they have projects that big. But for, you know, a few years ago, I told my friends and family, hey, listen, I want to dig a well for my birthday. You know, don't give me any money. Don't give me a present. But I want you to donate towards this specific cause. And it was, I think, $1,400 to dig this well. And so friends and family and some fans online got together and we raised 1400 bucks. And we funded this well and through No Think Act. And the cool thing is 100% of that $1,400, even to the point where the organization pays the credit card fees, goes 100% towards digging that well. It's not going into like some unknown fund of like, we're doing good things. You know, it's like, no, 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 that that $1,400, like every penny went to digging that well. They would raise their like support for like the staff and all that privately, like on the side, like a different fund. Anyways. I was actually fortunate enough to go overseas with them a few months later after we funded the well to go and photograph for them. So I got to just experience, you know, Uganda where we were, this little village at Kaihira, Uganda. And why we were there, the timing just worked out perfectly to where the well that my friends and family and I paid for, for my birthday, I got to physically like go and help dig that well. So that was one of the mm. most, that was one of the coolest, most rewarding experiences to be able to like you know, have an idea, contribute to something, and then actually go get your hands dirty or muddy. And it's a pretty amazing experience. Uh, and there's been a few other things. I won't go into all of them. I, I got to go overseas to Ethiopia with a nonprofit called Food for the Hungry and photograph a bunch of things for about a week there. That was a really fun trip. I got to meet some really amazing people who I think, quite frankly, have changed the direction of my life. And then there's also a nonprofit that I've been involved with since the beginning called Help Portrait, uh, started by my friend Jeremy Cowart and uh, Kyle Chowning. And every right before Christmas, it's actually this worldwide movement that, that they started. But right before Christmas, there's, I don't even know how many countries, like 60 or 70 countries participate in this. It's nuts. But they find people in need and these professional photographers take pictures of these people in need, print their portrait and give it to them. But the change is pretty incredible. You think, oh, it's just a picture. Well, it's not because these people like have never felt beautiful before. You have these prostitutes that are coming off the street or single mothers who can't afford it and have been just abused their whole lives or whatever. They're like, you know, these makeup artists are like, 
dolling them up and they just, they're like, I feel beautiful for the first time in my life. And I feel like I have dignity and worth. And it's been a pretty amazing thing to be involved in. And I've, I think I've gotten to go to every single one, maybe minus one. It's, I think, been around for about six years. So that's the majority of the stuff that I've been involved with. And it's really cool to be able to, you know, to use your craft and, and actually give back. Well, the book is iPhone-only photography. Uh, so, David, where can we uh, pick up a copy of the book? And how can folks best connect with you online? Well, everything I do online is all under David Molnar, M-O-L-N-A-R. So David Molnar on Twitter and Instagram and also Facebook. My website's davidmolnar.com. There's links to it from davidmolnar.com, but the book iPhone Only Photography is found on iphoneonlyphoto.com. And you're doing some really interesting things, David, but who's doing something that interests you? Who's doing something that interests me? Man, a lot of people are. I just... I love this idea of scalability. I love the idea of reaching more people than you could if you were, you know, speaking to them in person. My friends are doing podcasts like you guys and my friends who are, you know, writing books that are reaching a lot more than the 10 or 12 people that they're going to have a conversation with that day. Those are the people that inspire me. A guy named Jeff Goins is a dear friend of mine, um, a mutual friend of ours, Jody and Jeff. And it's, <laughs> it's been really cool to, uh, you know, to walk with him for the last few years and, and just kind of like watch his influence, like, you know, spread and change lives. So I love the idea. And I'm, I saw my route, I'm just a young whipper, whippersnapper. But, uh, I, you know, I love the idea of being able to impact people in a positive way from afar and kind of that idea of scalability. Any final thoughts to pass along? I don't know. I don't have a, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know. That question was just put in front of me, so I just yeah. asked it. <laughs> like, like, final thoughts about, well, I really like Twinkies. Um, and I really like. <laughs> well, you could just wrap up, David, with some more puns. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, did you hear about the Italian chef who died? No. Yeah, he passed away. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be here all day. That was funny, guys. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, David. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Best wishes to you and your lovely family. Oh, thanks so much, Jody. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. It was a blast. So I think that great photographs 99.8% of the time are made. They're thought through. And that's why I don't think snapshots are good enough because I don't think they tell the best story. Podcast Movement 2015 is coming to Texas this summer, and we want you to be there. Join over 1,000 current and aspiring podcasters at the world's largest podcaster conference. Featuring Sarah Koenig of Serial, Roman Mars of 99% Invisible, Pat Flynn, Aisha Tyler, Lou Mangello, John Lee Dumas, and over 50 other speakers. All that's missing is you. Learn more and register now at podcastmovement.com. 